the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we continue our survey of Revelation today, we find ourselves in chapters 8 and 9, taking a look at the seven trumpets. The significance of these trumpets and what they mean are up for discussion next on Abounding Grace. Some of the typology and symbolism found in Revelation can be, well, quite confusing at times. We're finding some clarity here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner as we turn our thoughts and attention once again to Revelation chapter 8 and 9, the seven trumpets. We invite you to spend time with us today as we explore Revelation together. Here's Pastor Gary now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace title of today's sermon is The Seven Trumpets. But I want to begin today by reading Ezekiel chapters 5 and 6, because I want you to see where the writer of the book of Revelation gets his figures of speech. You can tell when you read in Ezekiel 5 and 6 what John has in mind when he writes Revelation 8 and 9. So if you will, please turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 5, and we will read that chapter and chapter 6. Listen carefully. As for you, son of man, take a sharp sword, take and use it as a barber's razor on your head and beard, then take scales for weighing and divide the hair. One-third you shall burn in the fire at the center of the city when the days of the siege are completed. Then you shall take one-third and strike it with the sword all around the city. And one-third you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheathe the sword behind them. Take also a few in number from them and bind them in the edges of your robes. Take again some of them and throw them into the fire and burn them in the fire. From it a fire will spread to all the house of Israel." Thus says the Lord God, this is Jerusalem. I have set her at the center of the nations with lands around her. But she has rebelled against my ordinances more wickedly than the nations and against my statutes more than the lands which surround her. For they have rejected my ordinances and have not walked in my statutes. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have more turmoil than the nations which Surround you and have not walked in my statutes, nor observed my ordinances, nor observed the ordinances of the nations which surround you. Therefore, says the Lord God, behold, I, even I, am against you, and I will execute judgments among you in the sight of the nations. And because of all your abominations, I will do among you what I have not done, and the like of which I will never do again. Therefore, fathers will eat their sons among you, and sons will eat their fathers. For I will execute judgments on you and scatter all your remnant to every wind. So as I live, declares the Lord God, surely 
because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable idols and with all your abominations. Therefore, I will also withdraw, and my eye will have no pity, and I will not spare. One-third of you will die by the plague or be consumed by famine among you. One-third will fall by the sword around you, and one-third I will scatter to every wind, and I will unsheath a sword behind them. Thus my anger will be spent, and I will satisfy my wrath on them, and I will be appeased. Then they will know that I, the Lord, have spoken in my zeal when I have spent my wrath upon them. Moreover, I will make you a desolation and a reproach among the nations which surround you in the sight of all who pass by. So it will be a reproach, a a reviling, a warning, and an object of horror to the nations who surround you when I execute judgments against you in anger, wrath, and raging rebukes, I, the Lord, have spoken. When I send against them the deadly arrows of famine, which were for the destruction of those whom I will send to destroy you, then I will also intensify the famine upon you and break the staff of bread. Moreover, I will send on you famine and wild beasts, and they will bereave you of children. Plague and bloodshed also will pass through you, and I will bring the sword on you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Chapter 6. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face toward the mountains of Israel and prophesy against them. And say, Mountains of Israel, listen to the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the ravines, and the valleys, Behold, I myself am going to bring a sword on you, and I will destroy your high places. So your altars will become desolate, and your incense altars will be smashed, and I will make your slain fall in front of your idols. I will also lay the dead bodies of the sons of Israel in front of their idols, and I will scatter your bones around your altars." In all your dwellings, cities will become waste, and the high places will be desolate. That your altars may become waste and desolate. Your idols may be broken and brought to an end. Your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be blotted out. The slain will fall among you, and you will know that I am the Lord. However, I will leave a remnant for you. I will leave a remnant, for you will have those who escaped the sword among the nations when you are scattered among the countries. Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations to which they will be carried captive, how I have been hurt by their adulterous hearts which turned away from me, and by their eyes which played the harlot after their idols. And they will loathe themselves in their own sight for the evils which they have committed, for all their abominations. Then they will know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I would inflict this disaster on them. Thus says the Lord God, clap your hand, stamp your foot, and say, Alas, because of all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, which will fall by sword, famine, and plague. He who is afar off will die by the plague, and he who is near will fall by the sword, and he who remains and is besieged will die by the, fa- by the famine. Thus I will spend my wrath on, wrath on them. Then you will know that I am the Lord, 
When their slain are among their idols, around their altars, on every high hill, on the tops of the mountains, under every green tree, and under every leafy oak, the places where they offered soothing aroma to all their idols. So throughout all their habitations, I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land more desolate and waste than the wilderness toward Debla. Thus they will know that I am the Lord. So here you have a prophecy of Ezekiel to the house of Israel. Because of her long-standing apostasy, because she continued to turn her back away from the Lord, the Lord says he will bring severe judgment and bring waste and desolation on all of Jerusalem and upon all the land of Israel. But even in the midst of that, he says, there will be a remnant of people who will be saved. Those people who have been faithful to the Lord and will not taste God's judgment. Now, it's obvious when you read Revelation 8 and 9 that it is quite a difficult section. And anyone who seeks to understand and interpret Revelation 8, they must do it with the utmost humility and care with submission to Scripture, because it is obvious with all of these figures of speech that this is quite difficult. And a difficult question is, do each of these specific descriptions have some underlying allegorical meaning that we are to find in Scripture, or is much of the description here of these horses, these locusts, these faces of women and their long hair and all the rest of these tells, are they of an overall vision? And is it the overall impact that is the important thing? Now, I personally believe that much of the description of Revelation 8 and 9, particularly the army of the locusts, is there mainly for effect. It is not there for us to find some underlying meaning, but it is an overall picture that we get of this disgusting and terrifying army of locusts. That's the way I read it, and that's the way that I would recommend you to read it. Rather than asking yourself, what do all the details mean? Just get the full picture. And understand that John is describing something that is disgusting, hideous, and as terrifying as he can. Now, it is from these two chapters that many of the premillennialist commentaries on Revelation and their doctrine of taking the book literally falls to the ground. Virtually all rapturists say that the book of Revelation should be taken literally. Of course, we believe that the first verse of the first chapter tells us that we are to take the book as something written in figures and symbols. And as you've seen, we need to emphasize this regularly. In fact, let me read to you again verse 1 of chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place, and he sent and communicated it, by his angel to his bondservant, John. And the Greek word for communicated means to write in symbols 
and figures of speech. So right from the beginning of the book of Revelation, whereas everything in it is true, it is not all literally true. We are to look for symbols and figures of speech throughout this book. But the rapturist who says, everything in the book must be taken literally, falls flat on his face when it comes especially to chapters 8 and 9. I have read their commentaries in which they write about this army of locusts with all the whirling noise with scorpion tails stinging men. And they say this describes a time in the future with helicopters and the whirling wind and wings and the scorpion's tail shooting barbs like a machine gun and breastplates being tanks. Well, what happened to their idea of taking Revelation literally. They say it must be taken literally. But here they find symbols of all kinds for instruments of warfare. So you can see when you take the unbiblical principle that the book of Revelation is to be taken literally, it takes one into all kinds of fantastic extremes. So let's try and interpret what these seven trumpets are. Remember now, they're coming out of this sealed book. In chapter 4, you've got a throne. In chapter 5, you've got a book that is placed into the hands of Jesus to administer it. And that book is the history of God's covenantal curses and blessings upon his enemies and upon his friends. And everything that comes after chapter 5 through chapter 11 is the contents of that book. So here we have trumpets blasting, and these trumpets are a response to something that took place in the first part of Revelation 8. And what was it? Well, we saw last week, it is about the prayers of God's people entering the nostrils of God. And as soon as God hears the prayers of his people, he begins to act on earth. So God's response to the prayers of his people in the first part of chapter 8 are these seven trumpets that begin to blast in the middle part of the chapter. Remember that. This is God's answer to the prayers of his people to vindicate himself. And the first four trumpets in verses 6 through 13 of chapter 8 are trumpets of judgment upon the world and particularly on apostate Israel that has hardened its heart against God. Now, this is the thing to bear in mind. These judgments separate the saints from the world and apostate Israel. And it's so that the saints might not be separated from Christ. The purpose of these trumpets is to blast judgment upon apostate Israel and upon all of God's enemies so that God's people might not be separated from Christ by learning to peacefully coexist with their enemies here on earth. Now let me go back and do a little better job at explaining these four trumpet blasts in the first chapter, first part of, of last part of chapter 8. Last week, I really just kind of skimmed over them. So we're going to look at them a little more clearly today. 
So in verses 6 through 14, you have these four trumpet blasts. And what is the important thing about these trumpets that I indicated last week? Remember, they echo God's judgments on Egypt. If you remember the plagues and the judgments God poured on Egypt to liberate his people from Egyptian bondage, you'll recognize that that is what John has in mind when he describes these judgments. So the judgments that these trumpets are blasting on apostate Israel echo the judgment that God poured out on Egypt when they oppressed Israel. And of course, the significance cannot be missed here. Now God is treating Israel like he treated their enemy, Egypt. God is now bringing judgment upon that nation that he once rescued from Egypt. Now he sees Israel as his enemy, and he treats her like his enemy. And now he brings judgment to destroy apostate Israel, just like he brought judgment to destroy reprobate Egypt. Now, notice some of the figures here again. There is the figure of a mountain, verse 8. A second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Now, what does this particular figure have reference to? Well, in the Old Testament, mountains were figures for two things. Mountains, on one hand, were figures for the enemies of Israel, And they were also figures of speech for Israel itself. We see the first one in Jeremiah 51, verses 24 and 25, where the Lord says, I will repay Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea for all the evil they have done on Zion before your eyes, declares the Lord. And if you remember, Babylon or Chaldea was the nation that destroyed the southern kingdom of Israel in 586 B.C. And now God says, I'm going to repay Babylon for capturing the southern kingdom, even though it was at God's decree. Verse 25, behold, I am against you, talking about Babylon, O destroying mountain, who destroys the whole earth, declares the Lord, and I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the crags, and I will make you a burnt-out mountain. So here you have an example of a figure of speech in Jeremiah of a mountain, and it is used for the enemy of God, but here most particularly Babylon for what it did against God's people. And he says, Babylon will be a burnt-out mountain. But also in the Old Testament, the word mountain was used for Israel itself. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 20, it says, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sin of my people, or Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God on behalf of the holy mountain of God. So here praying for Israel and the holy mountain of God is the same thing. In our text, we have a picture of the four trumpets of judgment in which this great mountain is burned, 
that can refer to the burning of nations that rose up against the people of God throughout history, as well as the burning up of Israel herself, that is, apostate Israel. Also, remember, I said that an eagle, and I think King James Version says angel, but ours says an eagle, New American Standard, can be translated as eagle or vulture in the Old Testament. And it is always connected with God's judgment. They're birds of prey. And whenever you have eagles and vultures, you have death, you have destruction, and along with that is a graveyard. Now, then I also talked about this wormwood in verse 11. Wormwood is a plant that produces a bitter taste in water. But why is it brought up in our text? Well, turn to Exodus 15, verses 23 through 25, and you'll see the story that John is alluding to. Exodus 15, verses 23 through 25. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was called Merah, meaning bitter. Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he threw it into the water, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you would give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases or plagues on you which I have put on the Egyptians. For I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. So here what you have is a reversal of God's blessing on Israel. God's blessing was, I will give you sweet water. The curse was, I'm going to turn your sweet water to bitterness so that you cannot drink it. This is God's judgment upon apostate Israel. Then we have that number, a third, where it says a third of the people, a third of the water, a third of the trees. Now, again, remember, everything must be taken figuratively here, not literally. It's not talking necessarily about a third of a group of people. So where did the idea of one third come from? Well, as we read earlier, it came from Ezekiel 5 and 6, where it talks about one-third here and one-third there, all of which were being destroyed. Now, the issue is not whether it is a literal one-third or not in Ezekiel. That's not the point. The point is that John the Apostle is alluding to that event and bringing this one-third notion back into his prophecy. So does it mean that only a third of the Jews are presented here? Again, that's not the point he was making. The point he was making was that this one-third of the people in Ezekiel chapters 5 and 6 were all apostate people. So whatever the number one-third refers to in Ezekiel, the point is they were all apostate. And now, in alluding to that figurative parable in Ezekiel, 
John is not trying to argue whether this is a literal third of the population, and more than likely it is not since everything is to be taken figuratively. But as in Ezekiel, these are reprobate people. The only people that are going to be burned up and destroyed on the land are those who are in rebellion against Almighty God. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless.